0: Hello and welcome to Decoding Cancer from the Irish Cancer Society, the series that aims to answer your cancer questions. When we think of breakthroughs in cancer research, our mind often turns to names from big international institutes in large countries such as the US and UK for helping to develop revolutionary new treatments that can help people live better or longer lives when they're impacted by cancer. However, as in many other walks of life, for a small country, Ireland tends to punch above its weight in new innovations in in the cancer research field. We have had and continue to have real impacts in making treatments more effective and improving survival for people all around the world. Here to help me tease out just what Irish researchers have contributed in this vital space are Dr Lisa Dwan, a postdoctoral fellow in the translational cancer genomics team at the globally prestigious Sanger Institute in Cambridge, and someone who is well known to ourselves at the Irish Cancer Society, as his fellow guest, Rona Nelly, who has previously said that she owes her own life to cancer research after she became an early recipient of the Herceptin drug for breast cancer in 2004. And we'll chat about that in a bit more detail now. But first off, it's great to have you both here.
1: Hi, Rob. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Rob.
0: And uh, and, uh, thanks for coming on board and uh, hope you're both uh, keeping well. Uh, And I might start off uh, with Rona, if that was okay. And maybe, Rona, we might just pick back on that point because it's such an uh, arresting statement when you hear those words, I owe my life to cancer research. Can you tell us a bit about your own backstory and how you came to this conclusion over the years?
2: Absolutely. So my breast cancer story begins in 2003. And at the time I was 47, I was married, I had three children and I was working as a primary school teacher. And, you know, everything was good. I was healthy, well, um, when purely by chance, I found a small lump in my breast. And while I was shocked, I wasn't unduly concerned, but I saw my GP immediately. And uh, to make a long story short, after tests, I was diagnosed with um, early stage breast cancer. Um, And so that began a year of treatment, uh, surgery, chemotherapy and radiotherapy. So... When I completed my, when I finished my surgery, I saw the oncologist and I learned that my cancer was HER2 positive. So I was asked to participate in a, a trial uh, into the efficacy of of uh, Herceptin in primary breast cancer uh, in preventing recurrence and, and better outcomes.
0: And um, um, what did you understand by, by HER2? Because maybe some people... Um, I know it's more used more commonly now in, in breast cancer circles, but, but what, what did you understand from that? And what, what what maybe prompted you to look at a trial or other sort of treatment options associated with the trial?
2: Well, I wasn't aware that my cancer was HER2 positive until I saw my, my first visit with my oncologist. And he explained to me, and I was giving a lot of literature about her, HER2 positive breast cancer. And I learned that it was actually the very one you didn't want to have. It was the most aggressive. It had the worst prognosis and the one that was most likely to occur and was least responsive to chemotherapy. So that wasn't a great thing to hear. But I was offered, you know, an opportunity to participate in this trial, which was an international, huge international trial. And I very gladly accepted.
0: Yeah, you were in an unusual group in the trial. You want to tell us a little bit more about, I suppose, the more convoluted journey that you had into getting access to Herceptin?
2: Well, I ended up in the control group in the trial, so I didn't actually get Herceptin. So that was disappointing. But that wasn't the end of my my my, my Herceptin story because I finished treatment after a year. I was very relieved and hoping to get on with my life. But Within a few weeks, I had persistent back pain and after scans and investigations, I was diagnosed with um, advanced metastatic breast cancer with multiple metastases on my spine. And at that stage, because Herceptin had recently been licensed for stage four cancer, I started back on treatment with chemo and Herceptin. And obviously, uh, with recurring so quickly, my prognosis was very poor. But I started back on herceptin and the the chemo, and my first scans showed a huge improvement um and I've had since then um that was two thousand and four an excellent response, so i've been in you know my cancer has been stable i've been in long term remission, so I can say quite quite definitively that if it wasn't for herceptin, I would certainly not be around today. i you know my lifespan would have been quite short.
0: And it's it, it, I find it fascinating, actually, your individual story, because being in the control arm, uh, it, it, you didn't uh, get access to septum But by being in the control arm, you contributed to the development and validation that it was a beneficial treatment and then got access to it. Uh, and thankfully, um, we're we're all still here to, to celebrate that fact that um, you've responded so well.
2: Yeah. And, you know, that, that trial that I was on, the primary, interprimary breast cancer, that was was terminated early in two thousand and five because the interim results were so spectacular. So after that conference, all the oncologists came back to Ireland and immediately put all their primary HER two patients on Herceptin, and it has it has been an absolute game changer in terms of you know uh, recurrence in people far less recurrence, um, and in the same family now there are several. Leading on from that, there are several more drugs which can work together together in combination or separately. So now HER2 positive cancer is is one of the better has one of the better prognosis, and people are it just says that Herceptin has saved thousands and thousands of lives all over the world, and it's it's just a great story. It's it's really a complete game changer, and it's also a targeted therapy, so that it doesn't have the same effect as you know chemotherapy it, it it has far less side effects.
0: Well we've actually we've a really great pairing between yourself and, and Lisa here today because um, there's so much overlap in in some ways as I think will become evident in a minute between both of your stories and, and Lisa we'll chat a bit about your research and what you've done in this space in, in just a bit but you've had a personal experience um, from, from breast cancer and, and and your mum who I had the great um, privilege of meeting a couple of times actually and she's been a great supporter of the Irish Cancer Society was actually one of the first people in Ireland to receive her septum as well as, as part of her um, cancer diagnosis. So uh, she's been a real inspiration, certainly to me. And, and I, I suspect your work, are, you know, what 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 can you add to that?
1: Yeah. So my mum was diagnosed in 2005, actually. So not that long after Rona um, and she was diagnosed with stage 3B. So it wasn't metastatic, um, but she did have um, metastasis to her lymph nodes. Um, and so she would have been one of the first people to be offered uh, Herceptin. I actually didn't realize now that Rona had said that that um, the trial was just the year before. Um, and when the oncologist had agreed then to just put all of their primary breast cancer patients on Herceptin, my mom would have been one of those first patients to actually receive that. And she ha- had a similar uh, treatment plan. So she had, she had a lumpectomy. So she went in for surgery straight away and then she had chemo. Um, and radiotherapy um, and also Herceptin for the full year um, and I honestly I strongly believe that she wouldn't be here today without Herceptin I just think it's a fantastic drug and um, I think she was very privileged to have got it when she did.
0: And how did that impact you in terms of like you know ultimately later going into college and, and, and some of the directions that, that you've gone into your own career?
1: Yeah, so I was I was just 14 years of age. My mom was diagnosed. So I think back then, you know, I I didn't really know where my career was going at that stage. I was still in secondary school. And, you know, of course, I always had a love for science. Um, And after the journey I was on with my mom, after seeing everything that she went through, um, you know, we would have been at all the hospital visits with her. We would have sat with her when she had her chemotherapy. And I was just fascinated by by what was happening and what the nurses and doctors could do for these patients. Um, And it it was a it was a tough journey for it was a tough journey for the whole family. And I guess I just wanted to be part of part of like helping women in the future to recover from cancer. And that's where my interest in in studying uh, cancer went into. So I went to UCD to study science and genetics um, and I ended up majoring in pharmacology. And then I went into a Ph.D. um, in cancer biology.
0: So I, I mentioned a little bit in the intro that you're well known to us here in the Irish Cancer Society Um, for having been a a former Research Award recipient. And you were also involved in some of the cutting edge work undertaken through um, the Breast Predict uh, research programme, all of which was enabled by the amazing generosity of of the donors to the Irish Cancer Society. So tell us a bit about that and what your own involvement was then. So I suppose it's, it's, it's kind of after your undergraduate, and maybe you, you transition then on to what you're up to now as, as one of our global Irish cancer researchers based in, in the Sanger Institute.
1: Yeah, so um, in the final year of my undergrad, um, I did my final year research project project with um, Professor William Gallagher and uh, Darren O'Connor in UCD. And of course, I had heard a lot about predict because it was up and coming at that time and it was about to start next September. Um, And I I knew I wanted to to stick around in the lab and I was really passionate about the the research I was doing. And very luckily, um, uh, Professor Darren O'Connor offered me a PhD with BreastPredict and I was absolutely thrilled. Um, It was such a fantastic consortium to be part of. Um, So my research as part of BreastPredict, I was looking into a protein called USP11. And we saw that this protein had an effect on how cancer cells... Um, that are dependent on oestrogen, how they grow. And we were able to uh, carry out this fantastic study to kind of pick that apart and look at the role of USP-11 in these particular uh, cancer cells. And we moved over to RCSI, of course, from UCD. So I was with the Breast predict team for, I think it was four and a half years in the end. And we managed to publish our paper on USP-11 just last year um, in 2020. So I was in Darren's lab actually in CSI until uh, 2019 and then I moved over to Cambridge here to the Wellcome Sanger Institute and here I'm still working on breast cancer except now I'm more focused on triple negative breast cancer which is a little bit more of an aggressive type of breast cancer.
0: And probably one of the areas of a, of a lot of focus now as, as Rona mentioned a lot of improvement in the outcome for HER2 positive breast cancer but triple negative is still a challenge for us isn't it?
1: Yeah absolutely and you know I think Rona had mentioned as well about how how fantastic uh, Herceptin was because it was a targeted therapy so I think in the past if you had HER2 positive breast cancer you know it, as Rona said it was very un- unlikely that you could respond well to chemotherapy um, and it tended to be it is a much more aggressive type of cancer, but where Herceptin and other drugs that target HER2, I, I would honestly now think that HER2-positive breast cancer is now probably has a good prognosis as opposed to uh, having a bad. Um, but when it comes to triple negative breast cancer, unfortunately, we don't have any any of these targeted therapies. And what my research is focused on at the moment is looking for um, new targets that we can um, treat with a drug in triple negative breast cancer. Um, And I also work on KRAS mutant colorectal cancer. So this is another cancer that is basically of unmet clinical need. So it doesn't have any targeted therapies um, that we can treat it with. So... um, the focus of my project then is to uh, use CRISPR Cas9 screening, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard about CRISPR lately. Well,
0: maybe on, on the lab side they might maybe, have, but yeah. it, the, probably the, the general public wouldn't. Well,
1: hopefully, with the Nobel Prize now last year, um, maybe some people will have heard of CRISPR. Um, I think it made the mainstream media. Um, but essentially, it's a tool that we use um, to be able to uh, alter the genome, and we can delete genes and we can overexpress genes. Um, in a way that we've never been able to do before, and it's probably the most um useful tool that we have as molecular biologists at the moment and I think every lab is using CRISPR right now
0: yeah, I mean the the numbers of papers and and everything are just rocking up i i I think as a, as an aside, I think it's always important for key scientific developments to have a good memorable um acronym I think that helps as well um what what's it like been in the the Sanger Institute and you know to be contributing to Um, advances in in such challenging aspects of of cancer and health more generally?
1: Oh, it's it's absolutely fantastic here. It's it's a completely different world. The scale of the science that we can do here and the facilities that we have in Sanger um, is just brilliant. Um, Like, for instance, my project, like we're hoping to run close to 500 um, screens to look for combination targets in these cancers of unmet clinical need. And that's just something that you could do in very few places around the world um, we have such a big team. We have so many people contributing to this. And then, of course, we have a fantastic uh, sequencing facility here as well. It's just really, it's really, really fantastic. It's a, it's a fantastic place to work. And it's very different to going from a, an academic lab where you've got your own project and you you push that forward to yourself to going to somewhere like Sanger where you've got this multidisciplinary team from people of all different backgrounds and you've got a lot of industry involvement as well and to, to learn for me to learn to work with all those people has been great and to have that experience of, of interacting with such a larger team has been has been really fantastic.
0: Will, will we get you back Lisa?
1: Uh, I don't know <laughs> yeah no I, I do hope to return to Ireland yeah. um, in the future yeah. but maybe not anytime soon for yeah, now. <laughs> good good no
0: and, and, and I suppose that's one of the advantages <laughs> of science as well that you get to see other people other ideas and, and contribute and I, I I think people need to see the approach on cancer as a global effort and it's fantastic um that you know you've been able to I suppose get the get the start in Ireland and, and be able to contribute at that um that kind of scale yeah
1: of course and to be honest I think researchers going abroad and getting the experience in other places and seeing how other countries are, are doing these things and then bringing that expertise back to Ireland I think is, is something that's very attractive to researchers at the moment so it's certainly something I'd love to do in the future.
0: Yeah and it, to me it was one of the things about Breast Predict because it was such a scale and, and through the support of the, the public the Cancer Society was able to put 7.5 million into Breast Predict and I suppose it was one of the largest Just... um, ever investments in, in, in cancer research and I think trying to remember the figures now, but we'd several thousand women contribute samples to that and I suppose start to get to that sort of scale that we were um, able to undertake some of the kinds of things that that uh, you guys do in, in the Sanger as well.
1: Yeah, and being part of Predict as well really set me up for coming to a place like Sanger to having that collaborative nature where you, um, you know, interact with other universities and with clinicians and with patients even. Um, and it's something that I learned a lot. Like, for example, we wouldn't really interact with the clinic as much here. or We wouldn't have much patient involvement. And that's something that I would love to bring to Sanger. And that's something that I learned from BreastPredict. So, um, of course, we're taking some of our expertise uh, that we learned back in, back in Dublin, back in Ireland and bringing that internationally as well.
0: Yeah. And actually, when, when I was preparing for this, and I suppose you've outlined, you know, some of the amazing progress and, and I suppose the personal impact there from Rona and, and from your mum. And as I was going through these, and I think Irish folks can be very humble sometimes, and sometimes these advances go under the radar and, and we don't sort of realise the steady progress being made by research in the background, but also the contribution of, of Irish researchers and Irish research um, to, to making changes. And I was I was listening through some of them and actually I had to stop, but I, I thought I might mention some of them for, for listeners here. and And I suppose Many will know that radiotherapy is a key component of lots of different types of treatment. I don't think many people know that that started in Ireland. Professor um, John Jolly, who was originally from Offaly, uh, and Dr. Walter Stevenson, um, back in around about 1914, they helped develop the first widely used radiotherapy for cancer, incidentally, in the basement, I think, of Leinster House. Um, Dr. Maya Cole from Cavan, she helped develop tamoxifen, which many women... Um, who have had breast cancer uh, treatment will have been on or will be on. And incidentally, she's also one of the founders of the modern concept of a hospice. Dennis Burkitt first identified the biology of Burkitt's lymphoma, um, a really difficult um, cancer that's unfortunately common in children and, and young people um, particularly in parts of Africa and where malaria is found. Now those folks have, have passed away but we still have many people like yourself and, and the researcher that um, in the research activities that you will go on and do but folks um, that I would know well like um, Professor Joe Duffy who developed one of the first clinical breast cancer diagnostics, uh, urokinase plasminogen activating, uh, activator, Um, which helped uh, predict patients who don't need chemotherapy, because not every aspect of treatment is necessarily about giving treatment. Sometimes finding out who doesn't need treatment can be very valuable. Well known to many people, Professor John Crown played a pivotal role in the development of a very common drug called docetaxel, also known as taxotere. And that's used in, in breast cancer and several other cancers. We have an amazing network of uh, people involved in clinical trials in Ireland, Cancer Trials Ireland, and many thousands of people here have been involved in in research and helping bring about improvements in diagnostics and medicines, radiotherapy and surgery with taking part in Cancer Trials Ireland trials. And even up to last week, um, someone who we're we're funding now as well, Professor Adrian Bracken, Um, there's a a very difficult um, cancer that occurs in some children, thankfully very rare, but it is very poor outcome, called DIPG or, or DMG. And Adrian and his team, I have recently, as they say in the last week, identified the first actionable mutations in that cancer, opening up for the very first time the opportunity of hope um, for for those parents affected by that uh, cancer and, and and for their children that new medicines will be developed. So. I suppose coming out of all of that research really is a, a collective effort. I suppose sometimes we think of individuals and, and that. But actually, it's about people getting access, people getting all the skills, all the training, working with folks, getting new ideas, etc. cetera. It's about the people who volunteer. I mean, we've learned of, of Rona's contribution. And I suppose the people as well who help enable that, the donors and, and that, people who do crazy things, jumping out of airplanes, cutting their hair or whatever. Uh, and that. And, and I suppose we've talked a bit about as well, I, I might shut up now in a second, but uh, we talk uh, a bit as well about the positive aspects, but not all research identifies in advance, but we need to know the things that aren't in advance as well. We need to know the medicines that don't work. And so sometimes those aspects can be as important. Um, and I suppose maybe I'll go on to, to Rona again there. I suppose this is one for maybe for you, Rona, but also Lisa, You you'll have some thoughts on this as well. And Ron, as a direct beneficiary of, of treatment innovations, um, you know how heartening it is um, to be involved in this work in some way and, and to know um, that it's going on, I suppose. So how important is it, do you think, to support Irish research and to be at the forefront of such exciting developments?
2: Oh, I think it's absolutely crucial. Um, I think all patients want to want a cure, you know, would like a cure, and failing that treatment that will, will you know, prolong their lives. Um, but it's not all about treatment, and it's it's about the quality of life as well. So research as well into um,
0: the survivorship aspects and
2: into, you know, optimization of treatments, uh, perhaps combining current treatments. It's not all about new treatments, also about minimising side effects, both long and short term side effects, so um, patients don't live with with long term side effects and um, interventions that can help to manage those side effects. And I suppose when we think of research, we think just of the scientists, but it's actually a lot more than that. It's it's the the medical and the surgical and the the radiation oncologists. It's all the allied health professionals like physios, dietitians, psychologists um, who help to manage and help to, to who, who do research into you know interventions that 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 help with quality of life and with with ongoing side effects. Um, I think research is crucial. I think it's absolutely crucial that, you know, Irish patients have have access to clinical trials um, and, you know, current cutting edge treatments that they won't get, you know, until they're licensed. But on trials, they will have them at an early stage. Um, I think it's crucial to nurture our researchers in that, you know, there's a lack of funding. The Irish, the Irish Cancer Society provide a huge amount of funding, um, but there's there's a lack of other funding. And there's also a lack of, you know, it, it, it's difficult. It's difficult. We need more protected time for researchers and for medical and surgical oncologists. We need more supports. We need to nurture those researchers.
0: And just on that nurturing, Lisa, what would you say encourages and, and nurtures younger people to become involved and 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 stay in research?
1: Um, I think I think younger people getting involved in science certainly piques their interest in going into a career in research, and I think it's very important to to make sure that we give um, younger school children access to that as well. Um, and to give them more of a snapshot of, of what it's like to be in the lab. Um, and I think that's that's important when it comes to uh, like leaving our students, selecting science and college and then moving on into research and to to pique their interest.
0: I might just um, maybe finish up then, Rona, with, with you. And I mean, you've been involved in a number of different aspects of, of cancer now as well. Uh, and of course, you've volunteered your own time in support of uh, other people affected by cancer through our um, Irish Cancer Society Survivor Support and um, Program. Um, can you tell us a bit about that and, and what it's about, why and how you became involved in it, and the benefit that that you see um, for people, you know, becoming involved in it.
2: Um, well, I became involved in it in I, I think initially 2008. Um, I became involved in a, a focus group with the Irish Cancer Society, because when I was diagnosed, I found there were absolutely no supports or no information for people who had a metastatic diagnosis. It was all geared to those with the primary diagnosis. So I was I was very keen to to rectify that. So as part as a follow on from the the focus group. We formed the Living Life Group and we trained to become peer supporters. And we speak to people, you know, through a telephone or through sometimes by meeting people who who have no access maybe to other people and who are in a very lonely, isolated place and have, you know, are very frightened and and very fearful. And it really helps to talk to somebody who has personal experience they don't really want to talk to somebody who who has recovered they want to talk to somebody who's had you know a, a metastatic diagnosis
0: and they maybe don't even want to talk medicine sometimes they just want to hear from someone
2: no it's actually not about the medicine and i t- i talked to metastatic survivors, not just breast cancer, it's mainly breast cancer, but it can be other cancers, because really the support is around, you know, the psychological impact and the fears and the anxiety and managing, you know, some of the side effects would be similar. But it's it's more about the psychological impact. And, and you know, speaking to somebody who who has, you know, several years out from a diagnosis, it gives people hope. And, and that's so valuable. And You know, it helps them, you know, to to realize that, yes, it's an absolutely shocking diagnosis. It's devastating, but life can be good again. There are good treatments, you know, um, and you can live quite a good life even on treatments. And some of those treatments with all the new therapies, the targeted therapies and immunotherapy and all of the new, you know, drugs and treatments, um, people are living much longer. Mm-hmm. And that's great news.
0: And I think that's a really great illustration and a great way to sort of finish up. And unfortunately, our, our time is coming to an end. I think that word hope to me encapsulates a huge amount of the different things that, that, that happen in research and that research brings about. I'm truly grateful to our, our two great um, speakers, Ronan Alley and Dr. Lisa Dwan. Um, thanks so much for joining us. If any of our listeners would like to find out more about and support the vital research funded by the Irish Cancer Society, you can visit www.cancer.ie and remember to keep an eye out on our social media channels for new podcast episodes and do let us know your thoughts using the hashtag DecodingCancer. Anyone who would like help or advice on any of the topics we've touched on today can contact our dedicated Irish Cancer Society support line on free phone 1800 200 700 or email supportline at irishcancer.ie, supportline is all one word, and that will get you through to speak to one of our specialist cancer nurses. Don't forget to tune in next week when we'll be looking at the area of misinformation around cancer and the ways that you can ensure you get the best and most reliable information when you need it.